Hi, this is Sedge Thompson. Welcome to this special audio highlights podcast from West Coast Live. For more information about our shows and other guests and podcasts, wcl.org. There was one poet of the beat generation who said that he would rather be known as a Pulitzer Prize winning poet than a beat poet. That was Gary Snyder. He later changed his mind and said that that was an, a name that he actually thought he'd, he would prefer after all. The term beat poet applied to probably four people, it's said, by mostly the beat poets from the time in the 1950s. And the writers of that time, Jack Kerouac, Neil Cassidy, uh, and uh, Gary Snyder. And will you please welcome uh, the poet who has many of his poetic roots and connections here in San Francisco. He's here as part of the Solo Mio Festival with a sold-out show tonight. The show tomorrow night here at the Cowell has some tickets available. It'll also be broadcast live on KALW 91.7. Will you please welcome poet Allen Ginsberg. Well, you know, it, I, it's uh, it's a, it's a your your poem Howl was the subject of an obscenity trial here in San Francisco in, ni- in the mid 1950s. Uh, 1957, so. and uh, actually we won. Uh, the uh, judge said that any uh, work of art poem that had social relevance, commentary, or beauty was protected by the Constitution. And actually, that was the first time that uh, expert testimony and those criteria had been applied. So from 1958 to 1962, there was a liberation of literature from Soviet-style censorship here. Henry Miller, for the first time, was allowed in the country in books. Uh, Tropic of Cancer, also great anti-war novel by D.H. Lawrence, Lady Chatterley's Lover, and a whole series of books, uh, Catullus, classics. In the old days, Catullus could only be translated into Latin. That is, you know, the dirty parts, Latin, <laughs> in the modern library series, or the Satyricon or Petronius Arbiter, the racy passages had to be printed in Latin and in, in the English language editions. Finally, Naked Lunch broke the final barrier, and that was the end of censorship. So I think the uh, televangelist theopoliticians would like to reinaugurate censorship if they could. The, uh, have you had any problems publishing anything ever since? No problems publishing, but uh, with the FCC, there is now a new censorship that's been started since 1988. Senator Jesse Helms, the great purveyor of licit drugs, <laughs> tobacco, <laughs> the, the, the killer weed, uh, has set himself up as a moral arbiter. And uh, he put in a law in 88 that, that Reagan signed saying uh, the FCC is... <laughs> No, they're, they're serious. They're really serious. Not, you know, that said, the law says that uh, uh, no so-called indecent language can be pronounced on the radio or television uh, 24 hours a day to protect the ears of innocent kiddies. So kids who are reading Howl or Sunflower Sutra or America, which are sort of standard poems that are classic poems in the Norton Anthology, kids who are reading those in high school are forbidden to hear it on the radio during the same hours they're studying it in high school. 
So that means most of my poetry has been bricked off the air on radio and television. Actually, the first question I asked him is, how much can we get away with here? <laughs> and it's always a tricky issue. I had one good poem that had a four-letter word. But it was a mild four-letter word. But so the point, reason I'm saying this is so that people are aware that there is censorship on the main marketplace of ideas in America, radio and television. And people are not aware of that. We got together and fought the law with American Civil Liberties Union, Penn Club, William Burroughs, and poet Michael McClure here. We got it beat down to the, at the Supreme Court level. So there's a ban, 6 a.m. to 8 p.m., and then there's safe harbor, 8 p.m. to 6 a.m. So after 8 p.m., I can read Howell. Before 8 p.m., no. <laughs> you know, I, I, think, uh, I think you can read that poem. You think so? Yeah. Okay, shall I do it now? Yeah, sure. Well, it's, a, it's sort of like an imitation of Indian saint poetry. The Baul singers of northern Bengal do um, tres up in patchwork and uh, sing on the streets to Brahma, to Allah, to Christ, to Vishnu, Krishna, to asses, donkeys, to the Howrah Bridge, to the their own feet, their own eyeballs, sort of devotional. And they wear patchwork clothes and play a one-stringed instrument and uh, make paradoxical verses like, the elephant is caught in the spider web and the ant bursts out laughing. <laughs> so this in the style of one of those uh, uh, North Bengal um, poets. Uh, I was reading a some translations and I went to bed and kept waking up in the middle of the night over and over writing little additionals, so it's six short little poems. It's true I got caught in the world. When I was young, Blake tipped me off. Other teachers followed. Better prepare for death. Don't get entangled with possessions. That was when I was young. I was warned. Now I'm a senior citizen and stuck with a million books, a million thoughts, a million dollars, a million loves. How'll I ever leave my body? Allen Ginsberg says, I'm really up Shit's Creek. <laughs> I sat at the foot of a lover and he told me everything. Screw you, 23 skidoo, watch your ass, watch your step, exercise, meditate, think of your temper. Now I'm an old man and I won't live another 20 years, maybe not another 20 weeks. Maybe the next second I'll be carried off to rebirth, the worm farm. Maybe it's already happened. How should I know, <laughs> says Allen Ginsberg. Maybe I've been dreaming all along. It's 2 a.m. and I get, I get up early and taxi 20 miles to satisfy my ambition. How'd I get into this fix, this workaholic showbiz meditation market? If I had a soul, I sold it for pretty words. If I had a body, I used it up spurting my essence. If I had a mind, it got covered with love. If I have a spirit, I forgot I was breathing. If I had speech, it was all a boast. If I had desire, it went out my anus. If I had ambitions to be liberated, how'd I get into this wrinkled person? with pretty words, love essences, breathing boasts, anal longings, famous crimes. What a mess I am, Allen Ginsberg. Sleepless, I stay up and think about my death. Certainly, it's nearer than when I was 10 years old and wondered how big the universe was. If I don't get some rest tonight, I'll die faster. <laughs> if I sleep, I'll lose my chance for salvation. <laughs> Asleep or awake, Allen Ginsberg's in bed in the middle of the night. Then they came for me. 
I hid in the toilet stall. They broke down the toilet door. It fell in on an innocent boy. Ah, the wooden door fell in on an innocent kid. I stood on the bowl and listened. I hid my shadow. They shackled the other and dragged him away in my place. How long can I get away with this? Pretty soon they'll discover I'm not there. They'll come for me again. Where can I hide my body? Am I myself or someone else or nobody at all? Now what's his heavy flesh, this weak heart, leaky kidney? Who's been doing time for 65 years in this corpse? Who else went into ecstasy beside me? Now it's all over soon. What good was all that come? Will it come true? Will it really come true? I had my chance and lost it. Many chances and didn't take them seriously enough. Oh yeah, I was impressed. Almost went mad with fear I'd lose the immortal chance. One lost it. Allen Ginsberg warns you, don't follow my path to extinction. I was, startled, I was startled to learn that along this path to extinction, yeah. uh, many of your, uh, your poems, papers, and other artifacts have been donated to sold to Stanford University, yeah. which sometimes usually happens after somebody's died. But one of the things, the artifacts in there were your beard clippings. Well, yes, uh, there was one uh, period where I had this big, huge beard, and I thought, well, I'll save it for posterity. Somebody auctioned it off for the benefit of uh, uh, gay liberation or something like that. And it so ended up being auctioned off for the benefit of... Well, this is now in the library. They can do with it what they want. <laughs> how, how do you think it would be indexed? You know, the, 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 the uh, uh, librarians will steal it uh, hair by hair as souvenirs. When, when did you cut this off? Oh, this is back, back in the 60s. So you, how had you kept it stored? I just put it in a little piece of cellophane packet. <laughs> I didn't know what for, actually. But uh, years ago, the, the librarian-in-chief at Columbia University, Kenneth Loaf, told me, well, save everything. He said, in 1968, he said, save everything. Save your laundry lists. <laughs> I, didn't, <laughs> I didn't go that far. What do you think it is that, that interests people about ephemera of a famous person? It's not ephemera. Most of what is in there is actually a record of the cultural battle from the 50s, 40s, and 50s on. The, what Pat Buchanan himself would call the spiritual war for the soul of the nation between the, what I would say, the theopolitical televangelist uh, neo-Stalinists who want to put their authority and stamp on television and radio and all our brains and control people's minds and a more open sense of American democratic old Tom Paine libertarian freedom sense. And it seemed to me that we might be threatened someday with a police state. And so I tried to keep track of all the elements of the cultural battle, including the uh, so-called fraudulent wars on drugs, when the CIA was dealing drugs, after all, both in Indochina and in with the Contras, using the proceeds of the Medellin uh, coke trade to sustain financially the Contra wars in Nicaragua which George Bush was involved into, and Oliver North was now running for Senate, probably on an anti-dope uh, platform. <laughs> so, th so there's the drug wars, there are the ecological wars, there are the wars to liberate verse from the strict closed form to an open form, there are the, there's the sexual revolution. So I have 
sort of papers, uh, the, the correspondence and uh, papers and uh, documents relating to that, including complete uh, FBI, CIA files on myself, Leroy Jones, William Burroughs, and others, uh, attempts to set us up for uh, busts, and um, a whole bunch of social documents as well as pure literary documentation. What, what do you think your role as, uh, as Allen Ginsberg has, has been in this cultural war, your, your most effective part? Well, professor Ginsberg. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a distinguished professor of English at uh, Brooklyn College, but I also teach at a Buddhist school, the, the uh, Naropa Institute in Boulder, Colorado, that was founded by a great Tibetan Lama, Chögyam Trungpa, who was pretty well known for his books and meditation practice. And uh, I'm studying now with... Um, Gelidek Rinpoche, a very intelligent uh, Tibetan lama, formerly uh, head of a monastery, will be uh, here in uh, the Zen Center uh, in on October 19th lecturing. In this, in this 40 or 50 year cultural engagement that you've, you've been in, what's, what's been your most effective weapon? Language, song and language. Uh, actually, I've just put out a uh, four CD box of uh, music, poetry, songs called Holy Soul Jelly Roll, which uh, my own voice in different poems and songs a cappella from the beginning. From 1949, old scratchy records made in an apartment in New York, to 1953 down in San Jose in Neil Cassidy's house, some uh, a poem called The Green Automobile written to him, up through the first Reading of Howell in Berkeley in 1956, first reading of Sunflower Sutra in America, the works that would be prohibited on the air, uh, up through half an hour of music with Bob Dylan, uh, a uh, duet with uh, Elvin Jones, the great uh, drum player, some work with Don Cherry, uh, a long set of stuff with William Blake, uh, William Blake's Songs of Innocence and Other Experience put together in music with good musicians, including Dylan. Do you duet with uh, Philip Glass at the end. So it goes from a cappella through blues through classical. To Philip Glass and the And rap. And rap. <laughs> There's a recording of the first reading of Howell there? Yeah, the very first complete reading of Howell. There's an account of it that says that there were about 150 people in the audience, and they were like cheering you on in the course of the poem. Well, you can hear it at the... This, there were two readings, for two first readings. The first reading in the Fillmore, in the Fillmore Street, uh, the Sixth Gallery, I read the part one, and that was the sort of big drunken inauguration. <laughs> then there was a second reading a few months later where I'd finished the rest of the poem, and Supermarket, and America, and read all those at once. And that was quite a, a wild night also. Uh, Ann Charters, who's Kerouac's biographer, was there as Peter Orlovsky's date. And uh, it was uh, like a lot of the people from Berkeley and all the poets. And on the stage was Kenneth Rexroth, who was this great elder. Uh, Gary Snyder, who read also, who's now quite a famous Zen, uh, long hair, rucksack revolution, international ecological icon, actually. Philip Whalen, who is uh, now uh, the abbot of the Hartford Street Zen Center, where I'll be doing a reading Sunday for, uh, for, to raise money for their uh, Maitri AIDS hospice. And uh, Michael McClure, who's now touring around with Ray Manzarek, the uh, old Doors pianist, and Philip Lementia. So this, it was uh, quite an occasion. 
and it's been read, read all of those poems. And a year ago, somebody came back from Australia and said, well, you know, I recorded all that. I said, what? I said, I didn't realize it was, it was still, that somebody had a tape there. So we have that on this box set. I'd like to hear another poem of yours. Okay. This is from the Cosmopolitan Greetings, your new book that's out. Yeah, uh, that came out earlier this year. What would be interesting? Well, a brief poem, Autumn Leaves. At 66, just learning how to take care of my body. Wake cheerful 8 a.m. and write in a notebook, rising from bedside naked, leaving a naked boy asleep by the wall. Mix miso, mushrooms, leeks, and winter squash, macrobiotic breakfast. Check blood sugar, clean teeth exactly, brush, toothpick, floss, mouthwash. Oil my feet, put on white shirt, white pants, white socks. Sit solitary by the sink a moment before brushing my hair. Happy not yet to be a corpse. <laughs> Allen Ginsberg, who's uh, here tonight again, and at, uh, again tomorrow night at 8, yeah. and broadcast on the radio. You, what are, uh, These are one-line... We have, one we have time for a couple of yeah, sentences. One-line one poems, 17 syllables each. Uh, four skinheads stand in the street light rain, chatting under an umbrella. <laughs> Caught shoplifting, ran out of the department store at sunrise, and woke up. Two blocks from his hotel in a taxi, the fat llama punched out his mugger. <laughs> That's enough. All right. Allen Ginsberg. Thank you. Thank you very much. This is Sedge Thompson. Thanks for listening to this podcast. Try out others from West Coast Live right here, and we look forward to having you in one of our audiences one day. For more information, wcl.org. 